Back in the uh, late 80s, the shoe company Reebok came out with a series of commercials that was built around a slogan, and that slogan was three initials, and those initials were U-B-U, U-B-U. Does anybody in here remember that slogan from the late 1980s? Okay, more than one. I thought it might just be because I was like a 12-ish-year-old impressionable kid, and anyway, I remember that, and I was, as I was looking up, uh, just kind of working through the sermon this week, I thought, I'm just going to look up. Something prompted me to, and reminded me of that, and I looked up these commercials, uh, YouTubed it, and uh, of course, back then, I really didn't get it. I just thought, hey, those are, that's a neat thing, and I'll go buy those Reebok shoes, you know, kind of in the same vein of all the insurance companies. They just want to make you laugh, and therefore, you go buy their insurance, and it's kind of this association thing. Well, in this series of commercials, there were Repeated quotes by Ralph Waldo Emerson. I want to just say a few of these quotes that were on the commercials. One says, Whoso would be a man must be a nonconformist. Insist on yourself, never imitate. To be great is to be misunderstood. There is a time in every man's education when he arrives at the conviction that envy is ignorance, that imitation is suicide, and that he must take himself, for better or worse, as his portion. So to have all these kind of quotes from Ralph Waldo Emerson, and then it kind of at the end, it would flash, you be you. And the whole idea of this was, you need to be who you are. You don't need to be who the world is trying to make you into be. You don't need to be who somebody else says you are. You just need to be you. It's fascinating that Ralph Waldo Emerson lived about 200 years ago, and a lot of these quotes were from about 150 years ago. So it's not like this is all a new philosophy or anything. These are really, though, the seeds that have been planted in the uh, heart and minds of most of us in America uh, from way before the days we were born. And I read these quotes, and I think, yeah, I could print a few of these out and put them on my wall. And remind myself not to just be conformed with whatever is around me. You be you. The problem is, or the challenge at least, is who am I? If you were to be you, well then who are you? And beneath that is, who tells you who you are? How do you decide the source on who you are? These last three weeks in this series called Commission, Partnering with God, we've looked at three different verses, including the verse today. And each of those verses, there is kind of this bestowal of identity, an identity that says this is who you are. A few weeks ago, we looked at the baptism of Jesus when he comes up out of the water and the heavens are ripped open and a voice comes from heaven and says, you are my beloved son in whom I am and well pleased. Last week, Jesus was walking along the shore, and he called Peter and Andrew, and then James and John, and he said, hey, you follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you into these people. This is who you are. And then, of course, today's text that Jeanette read just a bit ago 
where Jesus looks at his followers and he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. All three of these texts have to do with identity. They have to do with who people are, who God says or Jesus says about who people are. This is who you are. This is what I am making you into being. Notice that in all these examples, it's the work of God that is doing the bestowing of identity, that God himself or Jesus, God through Jesus, is doing the work of saying, this is who you are. This is a very good news and a significant part of our gospel. We do not have to prove, for example, that we are lovable. We do not have to prove to ourselves, to anybody else, or even to God that we are worthy of love. We simply, like Jesus did on that day of his baptism, have to accept God's unconditional love for us. Furthermore, we don't single-handedly have to make ourselves into somebody that's fit for the task. Whatever God is calling you to do in your life, he doesn't just tell you to go do it and then leave you out on your own. Jesus says, no, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you into what you need to do in order to do what I'm calling you and sending you out into the world to do. And then, of course, today, we don't have to create, when Jesus says, you're the light of the world, I don't have to create my own light. I don't have to ignite. I don't have to be salty on my own. That, that word's kind of taken a, a negative sense these days, but back in Jesus' day, salty was the positive word. All we have to do is let our light shine. All we have to do is not Hide it under a basket, if you will. The light has been given. We are not the source of light. It is a given by the grace of God. It is a gift to us. And so in some ways, the way that we live out this commission in partnering with God has everything to do with our identity, with who we are, and with who we think we are. And that identity that is given to us is bestowed by God. Isn't that good news? That we don't have to fabricate our own identity? And yet, is this not much harder than you would ever think it might be? Even though God bestows identity, it is our responsibility to accept and retain and remember that this is who I am. To some degree or another, every one of us are tempted every single day to take on a piece of an identity here and there that is not the identity that God has for us. Even Jesus himself, after he, he was, the, the voice came down, he came out of the water, you are my beloved, immediately he was driven into the wilderness. And the first thing the devil says to him is, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You see that trick there? It's an identity trick. If you are this person, then prove it by doing these things. Jesus, of course, we know, does not end up taking the bait. He's famished. He has been fasting for 40 days. He is hungry. And I would think that the deepest desire I could be in touch with at that moment was a desire to eat something. 
But Jesus realizes, no, even though I'm hungry, even though everything in me wants that, that is not who I am. And if Jesus is not off limits for this sort of identity temptation, then we're probably going to be subject to the same kind of temptations every single day, right? You know, in our world of self-expression, of create your identity, it just continues to get more and more radical. The options out there for who you want to be are greater than ever before. Even in our world today, there's all this talk about if you're a man, you can be a woman. If you're a woman, you can be a man. You don't have to be who, who you were born as or if you think you're something else, well, you can just change and transform yourself into some identity that you want to be. That sounds... Strange to many of us, but in a growing number of places, people are telling teachers to, to not refer to boys and girls in their classes as boys and girls, but just as students. Who is it? Who, how far, far be it from us to put any kind of labels on anybody? And so while this business about identity is, is very important, and it just kind of highlights the confusion in our culture and maybe even in your heart and my heart. When I say you be you, who is you? Who am I? Well, I want to break it down in some ways that we take on false identities. The first false identity is I am what I do. I am what I do. My identity is wrapped up into my accomplishment, into my achievements. We see this in the world of children, from club volleyball to advanced placement classes. Those are not necessarily evil things, but the world around our children is screaming, you better perform because that's who you are. Those messages get infused into our children. This false identity can even get subtly religious. How many people feel like they're not doing enough for God? A religious form of, I am what I do. Now, what we do matters. What we do can be very valuable and important. God calls us to do many good things. But that's not the core. That's not the bedrock of who we are. The second identity that we are tempted to take on is, I am how I feel. Our feelings can easily get into the driver's seat in our lives. You watch any kind of news and you might find your feelings start to rise up inside of you. You go look on social media and you might see some things that trigger certain feelings in you. You live in society, period, and your feelings may come to the front. Feelings are good. God made us as a feeling people. To, to not pay attention to our feelings is a very dangerous thing. However, the problem with I am how I feel is that there are many times in our lives when our feelings are not in touch with God. Every spiritual writer who's ever had a real relationship with God talks about seasons in their life where they don't feel God's presence. 
Does that mean if I am what I feel and I don't feel God that I no longer have faith? If you live your identity on I am how I feel, those are some dangerous waters to tread. But our faith is deeper than our feelings. I bet Jesus wasn't feeling that that day when he was famished and being tempted by the devil. And we know that he wasn't feeling it when he was hanging on a cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's something deeper than our emotions, as good as they are. The third one is I am what I desire. I am what I want. Our culture is all about going out and getting what we want. Food, drink, sex, all of these options. We have these desires. And the question is, are these the deepest parts of us? Is this who we really are? Desires that can be very real and very strong. I am what I desire. The fourth one is, I am what I have. We're all familiar with this one in our culture where there's a temptation to buy this new thing every single day. It's more convenient than ever before. Buy now, pay later. How many of us or how many people in the world are in an unhealthy amount of debt? And yet imagine if you had every possession that you ever wanted in your whole life. Would you then be your true self? I think deep down we all know that we wouldn't. And then finally, I am what others think about me. Now, some people don't really care about this one as much. I don't care what other people think about me. But all of us need somebody to like us. Almost all of us. We need somebody to be in our corner. For some, it's tempting to give in to the pressures of others. Some of us, we want a lot of people or maybe everyone to like us. What if the whole world liked you? If you were the most likable person in the whole world, would you then be who you really are? The world didn't even like Jesus. Why would the world like you or me? If our goal is to be liked by everyone, then we simply become a chameleon, only a product of what the world wants us to be. And so these are all ways that we can take good things and put too much stock of our lives into them. I am what I do. I am how I feel. I am what I desire. I am what I have. And I am what others think of me. I want to offer you one more today. I am who God says I am. I am who God says I am. In the midst of a culture that's trying to tell us, hey, here's who you are. Here's who you need to be. You need to find out who you are based on this as a people of faith. What about I am who God says I am? When we are who God says we are, and that comes in contrast with our feelings, then our feelings don't override us. When I am who God says I am and in all my doing, I screw up and I mess up, then maybe what I do is not ultimately who I am. Maybe I'm freer than that. 
if I am who God says I am, maybe I don't have to chase every desire in my life. If I am who God says I am, then maybe I don't have to have everything, every possession that I want. And if I am who God says I am, maybe I don't have to run around trying to get everybody to like me. Psalm 139 is one of my favorites. I'm just going to read a part of it. David says, It was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and I know them very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them has yet existed. The God who made you is the God who knows who you are. The God who made you is the God who says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. God has given us His identity. We simply must let our light shine. We simply must live out that calling on our lives to be His beloved and to, be the, to take the gifts and the graces that He gave to us to discover those and to live those out for His glory, for His kingdom. You know, it's funny, this words of you are the light of the world and the Gospel of John, Jesus says that He is the light of the world. He says, I'm the light of the world. But in Matthew, He says, you're the light of the world. Whatever Jesus understood about Himself, He also saw in His followers. Little Christs, little Jesuses, the very body of Christ. You are the light of the world. You be you. I think God's translation of that was you be like me. Because I made you. Because I know you. Because I love you. And once you get that, you really will realize you don't need all this other stuff like you thought you did before. And so out of this identity of being God's beloved and doing what God called us to do, out of that identity comes our mission. This co-mission with God, partners with Christ in the world. It all comes down to what we think about ourselves. We've already broken the bread this morning. We've already been reminded that we are those people that God has given himself over for us, that we are those people that God loves well, that God that loves us is a God who died on a cross. And He did so on behalf of the world, on behalf of us. And in some ways, He calls us to do the same thing. When we come and we partake of this bread, we're partaking of the brokenness of Christ. Because we are broken. But we do it for the broken world that we live in. Today, I want to 
invites you to do something different. After you come forward for Holy Communion, you'll have an opportunity to kneel at the altar rail. And if you're ready just to say, God, I, I want to just really embrace my identity today. Not the identity I've always thought I had, but, but just in faith, I want to step out. And I don't understand it all, but I just really want to, to grab onto you today. I want to invite you to kneel at the altar rail after you take communion. And Augie and I will be up here. And if you're willing, just hold your hands out like this. And we have a cross. We have a lot of these little wooden crosses. And we just want to put one in your hands and pray a short prayer about being the light that God calls you to be in the world. We'll also give you a little card here just to remind you that God commissions us. He commissions us every time we are sent out from this place, we're commissioned. Every time we wake up in the morning, we're commissioned. But sometimes we just need to take a moment seasonally and remind ourselves, this is who I am and this is what I am meant to do. So if you're willing to accept that identity that you are who Jesus says you are, And you may not have it all figured out. I know I sure don't. I want to invite you to do that as a way of accepting that and as a way of going forward. I want to call your attention to the screen now. We each are sent to serve the need of the church throughout the community as a daily part of our lives. This commissioning and sending will remind us that we are each sent out by Christ's great commission to make disciples, to befriend the lonely, to walk beside the sick and hurting, to feed the hungry and rejoice with those who celebrate. And so together we pray that God would give us the strength to live into the calling to enter into the commissioned work of God. Church, would you say this with me? Lord Jesus Christ, You stretched out your arms, love, on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. We bless you, O God, and we give you all the praise and glory. We ask that you bless these servants of yours gathered in this room. Fill the hearts of each of us commissioned by the power of your Holy Spirit. We are sent forth as messengers of salvation and peace in your name, anchored in your grace. Bless these crosses that we will receive as a sign of your love and a token of our faith and commitment. Let these crosses be symbols of our identity with you. Amen.